Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 59. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. His shirt is tucked in Raygun. Chris, you're wearing a tucked in t-shirt today. Yeah, it's a weird Al shirt, so I figured it should be tucked in. Yeah. Because otherwise it doesn't really sell. Yeah, yeah. You definitely sold it. It doesn't sell the image if you leave it just dangling in the wind. Now, you just saw him, right? Yeah. I saw him at uh, Griffith Park. It was really cool. Really fun. There was something that I always kind of wanted to do, and then a friend of mine, like, months ago was like, hey, you want to see Weird Al? And I was like, yes. 
And then like I forgot about it, and then my friend's like, "Hey, are you ready for tomorrow?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot." Cool. I I think Weird Al is funny as hell. Yeah, he's a very wholesome. Yeah, as far as like comedy goes, he's like the Mister Rogers of mainstream comedy. I feel like. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy in the interviews I've seen. I saw this one interview I think where he was talking about how he had, like Coolio when he did that song in the '90s, like ha- like didn't wasn't appreciative of it and stuff, and how bad he felt. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny, man. <laughs> Coolio used to be really threatening. Coolio's got to be like, what, in his 50s now? Yeah. Probably not the most threatening character anymore. No, probably not. But it was a gangster's paradise. Well, I'm glad you had fun at the show. Yeah. For the uninitiated, Sacred Symbols is our weekly PlayStation podcast that goes live Tuesdays for Patreon supporters at Collins Last Stands. Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. $5 and up gets you early ad-free access. And then three days later, it goes live for the freeloaders out there. Remember also, and we'll talk about it in a moment, Sacred Symbols Plus is also running. You can support us on Patreon at any level, dollar or up, to get Sacred Symbols Plus access. That is our weekly supplemental episode. Last week's was all about first-party studios, and we did a little draft. People really liked that episode. Yeah. So I was really pleased about that. This week's episode is going to be about violence in games and violence in media. It's actually something that I didn't want to talk about and then there's been so much discussion about it that it has spurned me on to say a thing or two about it and i'm interested to see chris what you have to say about this as well yeah this of course comes up in the wake of the shootings in the united states which are perpetual and if people can blame violent media violent games and and i I got inquiries from the audience too to see what they thought about it so you guys can look forward to that if you support us on patreon jacob klusterhouse wrote into us chris on patreon just like anyone can at the $2 level or higher. And he says, hey, Colin and Chris, just wondering if there will be new shirts for Sacred Symbols. Plus, I need one to go with my high quality American made Sacred Symbols shirt. Well, Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus's logo is just a little bit different than Sacred Symbols. I, I like that. That's exactly what I wanted. What, what Dagan, my brother, did to it is exactly what I wanted. Just something minorly different. I don't know if we'll have shirts for it yet, but maybe we will eventually. Remember, you can get all of our shirts, Sacred Symbols, Knockback, etc., all made in America, the T-shirts. TinyURL.com slash sacred shirts, tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts if you want to support us there. We also have long sleeve like sweatshirt like things and sweatshirts oh, yeah. with hoods and hoodies. Yeah, hoodies. Isn't that the that's the right word yeah. for it? Sweatshirts with hoods. I'm like an old man. <laughs> so go support us there if you'd like. Now, Chris, there's a ton of news to get through, but before I did that this week, I wanted to get through a few other things, a few other items if it's if it's okay with you. Yeah. I mean, that's what the show is. First of all, there's been this reporting that Walmart is banning violent video games. This comes from an erroneous IGN report. Yeah, Uh, this isn't true. A lot of people have wrote wrote into this. IGN misreported what Walmart PR said to them. And actually, a lot of people, including IGN in the article, blames Walmart kind of for it. Being like, we're really upset about what they said, too, and misled us. But I read it and I'm like, "Mm." it seemed pretty clear that they were. What did they say? What was this? What was the statement? Let me uh, I'll pull it up. But basically, just to give people a little bit of a background here, we had these two terrible, violent shootings. I know they were pulling the ads. Right. I think. Right. right. So we had these violent shootings. And what basically happens when these mass shootings happen in the United States, as our American audience knows, is everybody kind of freaks out about it. There's some push to do something. And then whether you agree or not, nothing happens. Yeah. So basically what happened is Walmart is removing references to violent video games, I guess, in their like shelves, like no ads for violent video games, whatever. Now, this is not that unusual. Walmart is one of the biggest music sellers at retail in the world, and they don't carry dirty versions or adult versions of the albums. Like you can only buy clean versions of many albums at Walmart. So 
it's not like it's unprecedented that they would try to do something like this. But the that's, IGN report that's says interesting. that's weird that you can. So you can't buy like parental advisory albums. Right. I Walmart don't think then? so. I think it's only. But you can play rated M games. That's interesting. Right. Weird. So weird. We might, we might get to a point where that happens. But basically, the original IGN article says Walmart's removal of any references to violent video games and media from stores appears to have extended to the actual selling of video games as well. Yesterday, reports came out that Walmart sent out internal communications to stores asking them to pull down ads, signage and even demos for violent video games. And then a day later, Twitter user Eric Tyler Loudon. I feel like I know that name. Tweeted out that their Walmart isn't even selling games. IGN reached out to Walmart for confirmation and received the following response from Lamia Jenkins, director of national media relations, quote, we've taken this action out of respect for the incidents of the past week, and it does not reflect a long term change in our video game assortment. We are focused on ass assisting our associates and their families, as well as supporting our community, blah, blah, blah. So the key in there, Chris, right, about the miscommunication is it does not reflect a long term change in our video game assortment. Mm -hmm. OK, so they say in the original statement, this does not affect the assortment of video games. Nonetheless, IGN writes that Walmart is banning or removing video games and violent video games from their store shelves. And then the update says, since the posting of the story, Walmart has claimed they were confused over our request for comment, effectively reverting their statement on a policy around the ban of any game sales. During this investigation, IGN reached out multiple times to ask whether Walmart was ha was halting the sale of video games from its stores. We asked Walmart to clarify yesterday's report regarding video game ads and signage and then added, quote, there are additional reports of t on Twitter that say certain stores are taking down video game sales completely. Is there any truth to these? End quote. Walmart followed up the reply with the statement you see in the original story. So what, basically, IGN's admitting that they asked them two questions and that the first question was the one that they answered. So yeah. this this, see, this see, the proliferation of this story, I don't care weird. what anyone says. That's a massive miscommunication. And at the bottom, it says, IGN apologizes for any confusion or alarm this may have raised. We are similar, similarly pissed. That's what it says. You should be pissed at your newswriter for like if, if they wrote back and I was like, wait a minute, let's use our logic brains for a second. Yeah. Walmart, one of the great retailers in the world, is going to stop selling video games. Does that make any sense to anyone? If Walmart came back to me with that statement, I'd be like, wait, what? I need clarification before I publish this. You guys are taking video games down? Yeah. But it's not what the statement said, because it literally said in the original statement, this does not affect our long-term assortment of games. Okay. Well, so, so, so do they think that they took them down for a short term? That would be the assumption then, right? Is I, that they that they removed I, video games for a short term. Right. Which also doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But so, they also didn't clarify either. I don't know. I, it just that's seemed, a mess. It, it seemed clear to me that that's much more on IGN than Walmart. And I say yeah. that with a lot of love for IGN. I used to work there. I mean, I, no disrespect, but I did want to bring that up because a lot of people have been asking about that. For and sure. Yeah. It was really uncritically received. Like even when I read that, that before it was updated, I'm like, there's no way that's true. Like that would yeah. obliterate hundreds of millions of dollars of their business. They're not going to do that. Does it? Yeah. Do they sell a lot of video games? I think about this. I mean, I, I know they used to, I'm sure. Yeah. Other than GameStop, I would be surprised if Walmart wasn't the biggest retailer of video games in the United States. And probably, I would assume, one of the biggest in the world at retail. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I there's guess, like almost like no doubt. Think, of, think about, guess, think about when you, we're in California, we're, we were born and raised in New York. So yeah, yeah. we had a Walmart on Long Island. We had all Walmart. I, but, I didn't have Walmart until I moved upstate. But... uh Upstate's a good example, but just that Walmart is like the place to shop. And I think that's totally fine in many yeah. locales. So when you go in there to buy your groceries or whatever, your clothes, sure, you're going to buy video games. Yeah. So, so that just struck me as a little weird. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that just briefly.
By the way, Jeff Keighley is teasing new game announcements. And I thought this was interesting. He's doing a Gamescom opening night stream. For people that don't know, Gamescom is a big German game festival uh, that I've talked about in the past. I've been there twice. Never again. Never again. <laughs> it's right? Just, like we say 9-11, never again. Gamescom, <laughs> never again. It's never forget, I'm pretty sure. Oh, right. <laughs> never forget. Gamescom, never again. I mean, hopefully never again. Yeah. yeah. Also, well, yeah, I guess we'll have to. So far, never again. <laughs> was USS Cole and the 9-11 real quick right after each other. And then it was never again after that. Now, Jeff Keighley is stream is doing an opening night Gamescom stream, and he calls it the, quote, world premiere content and announcement stream, end quote. Now, what's interesting about this is that Sony is on the list as oh. one of the publishers that will be showing something here. Bungie's on there. Capcom's on there. Sega, Square Enix, Bandai Namco and others. But Sony is definitely the most interesting name because it says that there will be new game announcements and or new footage. Now, Chris, what do you think? I think that's interesting, but I don't and I don't imagine that it's probably going to be anything that that's that's particularly exciting. I can't imagine like what would they, what, what do you think they would show really? Maybe more medieval or something. Or yeah, I can. Um, that, that was my first thing. It's like could oh. be the last of us release date, something like that. But I don't think that they would do that at Gamescom. No, they would probably save that for PSX or whatever. Yeah. Or just do it on their own. They don't need, yeah. you know, it is cool that Jeff Keighley is like doing this kind of stuff. Man, he's getting his money. I appreciate Jeff Keighley. Yeah. Hard worker. Yeah. He's definitely a grinder. So I just wanted to throw that out there. We assumed that we knew that Sony was going to be at Gamescom and have some presence, but it seems like there might be more to the story now. So. We'll keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. Chris Neo JD wrote into us on Patreon and he said, what do you guys think of the boycott Borderlands 3 situation? Have you seen anything about what about the hell what's is going that? on this? again? Didn't this happen already? I feel like. Yeah, I feel like this happened because of something with what's his name? Uh, Pitchford, Pitchford, Randy Pitchford. But this has to do apparently and this is I'm not going to include this in the news, but apparently take Two interactive, who is oh. the owner of 2K, the publisher who was publishing Gearbox's Borderlands 3, apparently sent like some private investigators to this youtuber's house yeah because this youtuber this borderlands youtuber apparently was leaking so much information that they were like what is happening here but this has caused a complete backfiring on take two because people are rallying around the youtuber and the youtuber doesn't seem like he's getting the information by like going and robbing it from anyone he's, no no he's, he has sources so what do you make of, of this situation first of all no one's gonna boycott borderlands 3 it's gonna be huge yeah but but second <laughs> A little strange. Take two kind of taking this shit a little seriously, it seems like. Yeah, that's a bit uh, it's a bit intense of a thing to do for game leaks. But I, I, I think I remember hearing information that suggested that he was charging people for access to a discord with the private information on mm. it, with the leaks on it, which I think is the reason mm. they said it was more of like a you're charging for industry secrets, basically. Which I think was the main problem that they had, but still, like sending two people it's, it, in suits and black ties with like a, a fancy pen that blinds you is a bit is probably a bit scary. It seemed a little Overkill. bit over. It seemed over the top to me just because. For sure. If that's the conclusion that they drew, wouldn't he kind of similarly be making profit by just having ads on his videos on YouTube that, that yeah no exactly proliferate these secrets? It just seems like six of one, half dozen of the other, really. Yeah, it it seems like like a really vague amount of difference is really all that it takes for them to send people to your house a but, bit definitely overstepping a boundary i think uh just yeah. send an email yeah just send an email and be like hey you gotta stop like you're a fan i get it but like this is a at, at the very least request that like no nobody's charged for access to your leaks or whatever what, what i mean definitely and what i read by the guy that the youtuber chris which was so interesting was he did talk to them like readily and then uh, i guess later on was like i shouldn't have even said anything to them and stuff so there's like this whole 
Weird. ordeal going on. So boycott Borderlands 3 if you want. I think it comes out in uh, September, so you have a little time to boycott it before you don't boycott it anymore. Yeah. Garrett Jaggard wrote into us and say, hey, Command Colin and Conquer Chris. Eh. Uh, Long-time right. follower, first-time Patreon subscriber. I am curious to hear your thoughts on Death Stranding reportedly no longer being listed as PlayStation exclusive. Have you been seeing this roaming around the internet in different corners? I, I have not, so, but it sounds not true. Yeah. People have to understand that this game was announced to be on PC originally, as far as I understand. I think Kojima talked about that almost instantaneously. So yeah. I don't know. Now, people are talking about, is it going to be on PC at the same time? It's clearly not going to be on other platforms. So I think that this is another this is the summer lull shit, man, where people like they're looking for shit. Yeah, they just glean on to something like Death Stranding was never going to be a pure PlayStation exclusive, just like Detroit Become Human is not a pure PlayStation exclusive because it's on PC now. So I don't think that there's anything new to report. Yeah, I didn't know necessarily that it was going to be on PC, but I I kind of just assume that that's the direction that. That video games are going in in general, you know, it feels like that's going to happen more and more. So it's like when I hear that Death Stranding is coming to PC, doesn't shock me. Yeah. Really? It's yeah. Like, me oh, cool, I guess yeah. I could have sworn that they said this. I'm sure I they probably or Kojima did. did. Maybe maybe not Sony, but maybe Kojima did. So anyway, we'll keep an eye on it, but it really doesn't matter. I guess it's interesting, though. Now, Chris, we have a few corrections to get into and also uh, some problems that people have with us. So I thought I'd read these through real quick. Mm-hmm. Omar Al-Khatib Al-Khatib. Wrote in and said, hey, CNC, just wanted to give a minor correction to last week's episode. Chris said that Bluetooth would be standard with the next generation controllers, but it's been standard with PlayStation since the PS3. To make a PS4 controller visible to other devices, all you have to do is hold the share button and then hold the PS button and the light bar will start flashing. He says he doesn't remember how to do it on PS3. Anyway, he just wanted to throw that up. Said, keep up the great work. He's loving Sacred Symbols Plus. Thank you for the clarification. That is fair, yeah. I didn't I didn't know that that's how you synced the blue. Did you know that? No. (laughs) What the fuck? Do you think that I knew that? I I, I barely can like work an alarm (laughs) clock. Exactly. Luke Wright also wrote in and said, hello, boys. In regard to the latest episode and the conversation on handheld gaming, iOS 13 supports the DualShock 4. I have the beta version of iOS 13 and it works with remote play. Not well, but it works. Lots of lag at the moment and maybe it will improve in the future. So that's just something else we were talking about Mm -hmm. that needed a clarification. But John Coulter. Ooh. He has a little bit of a problem with me, Chris. Okay. He says, Mo Ray, I must raise an objection to the assertion that Youngblood's problems are the fault of Arcane and that the studio has somehow usurped the development of Wolfenstein and led it in its current direction. In my opinion, Arcane has a better track record than Machine Games. The Dishonored series has arguably gotten better with each release, and the recent Prey reboot was a masterpiece in immersive game design. You're absolutely out of your mind by the way, with that machine games, on the other hand, made 1.5 great games, new new order and old blood, and then took a step backwards with Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, as you have also discussed recently. I must also object to the correlation drawn between young blood and rage 2. You have often insisted that rage 2 is promoted in a way to trick the consumers into thinking it was an id software game. When in fact, avalanche was always promoted as the lead studio and id's role was greatly downplayed anytime they were asked in an interview. What I mean by all of this is that we must give credit and blame to the lead studio on a game. And for young blood, that studio is machine games. At the very least, they both deserve equal blame, but I vehemently disagree that Arcane is the prime reason for this game being a mess. If anything, it is probably Bethesda higher-ups that have forced these choices. They have clearly made similar bad directional decisions on every game in the last year or two. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack, I think. Well, all right, so the first thing he starts with is that I guess the major thing that I want to talk about, I guess, to start, Chris, actually, is that he was saying that id, he, he has a problem with me saying that Rage 2 is this, like promoted as being an id game, but it was. 
I mean, yeah. I was there. I remember. Now, they might have said it in interviews, but no one reads interviews, by the way. And when the id splash screen appears before a game starts, that makes the assumption that it's not running on id tech, but that the game is made by them. Now, I'm not saying Avalanche is just ignored here, but I disagree with that assertion. I think it was pretty clear what they were trying to do, and I think people were calling them out on that. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And that's readily why. why, I, And I'm, I think they're glad, too, because Rage 2 ended up not being id quality or id caliber. Now, the other thing about machine games and arcane, what do you think about this? Because uh, I think machine games is the better studio, but I can see why arcane is respected more. I mean, dishonored is a, is a very well respected series, Mm -hmm. but it seems to me that it's obvious that arcane made this game in their way. I think, yeah, for sure. I think the structure of the game screams arcane, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily that, their design philosophy is is bad, inherently. It's that I think it clashes with what Wolfenstein is, and they were tasked with putting together a Wolfenstein game. And I think that's ultimately the problem. It's not necessarily that you know, oh, Arcane makes bad games. That's not that's not what the statement is. It's just that this DNA doesn't quite mesh well with this this franchise. Yeah, I think it was a mismatch, and yeah. I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, you can look at the credits and kind of figure it out, but it's hard to know. Arcane obviously being French, they're also in Austin, Texas, but it's hard to know what the French team did and what the machine games team did in Scandinavia, but it really doesn't strike me as a machine games game. It feels great to play. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of cool things in it, but it's not a game that I recommend as much as I thought that I did. Let's say that. And I still can't beat it, by the way, even on easy. Still can't beat it. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with the difficulty at the end of that game. (laughs) Just absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. Tyler wrote in and said, hey, fellas, do you ever just turn on your PS4 and stare at the menu thinking of what to play, but ultimately just turn it off and do something else? Oh, yeah, 100 mm. percent. I've done that countless times this week. Yeah, I do it as well. I turn on the PS4 by habit and then I just let it sit there sometimes and look at it. Just burning energy, burning. En- yeah, I mean, who cares? <laughs> you know, what do I care? What do they say? AOC Fuck says we have 12 years. Earth. I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely going to contribute to it. Maybe we can get it down to 11 years. <laughs> If we work hard enough, we can get it down to 11 or 10 years. I believe that one day we can get rid of that pesky ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Boil it away. (laughs) So useless. We should be building desalination plants. So useless. We should be building desalination plants all over the coast and just sucking the salt water up and making it into drinkable water. 100%. Who needs this brackish nonsense? (laughs) Jesus Christ. It is gross. The ocean's gross. I love swimming in it, but that's about as far as I can I can go. I don't like anything that lives in it. Yeah, it's not okay. I was reading a lot about seaweed this past weekend for some reason, and I didn't realize like. Were you stoned? Yeah, I mean, I usually am. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize like I thought seaweed was like a underwater plant. What is it? But it's really not like a plant. It photosynthesizes. It's like some sort of very primitive plant. It doesn't have like root systems. And I don't, I don't know. I was very I was very mystified by this whole thing. I didn't quite understand the botany behind it. Right. But these things aren't plants like you would expect. Yeah, of course, nothing in the ocean is. Aaron Chisholm wrote in and said, hey, CNC, my mind hits a blank for my first sacred symbols question. So instead, I ask you this. Do you find gentlemen class tomatoes as a fruit or vegetable? Keep on living the dream. Your friend, your Highland friend, he says, actually, Aaron. Now, tomato is technically a fruit, Chris, but this has always bothered me a lot. Because we don't use tomatoes like fruit, do we? No, but I've seen people bite into tomatoes. Yeah. You know, it's not like that 
outlandish. Is that the is that what the line is? Is that you bite into a if you if in other words, if you bite into something that can't make it a fruit. No, 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 that's not what makes it a fruit. Like you can bite into a carrot. You right, know, that's true. But like I just feel like a fruit is more like it's it's less strange mm. to see somebody bite into a carrot or, 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 bite, or bite into a tomato than it is to bite into a carrot for some mm. reason. Carrots like what are you a cartoon character? Yeah. You know, it just feels like weird. Carrots are good, but I never go out of my way to. No one's going to go out of their way them. for a carrot. They're they're cool. I mean, they're ta- they're tasty. Are they? Yeah. I don't mind a carrot. I don't mind a carrot every now and again. But I'm not like going out of my way to find carrots. (laughs) You know, I'm not going out of my way to order them. I don't know. I think the more confusing one is olives. Olives are strange. Olives are gross. Are you insane? I don't like olives. Olives are so good. I like olive oil. But I'm not a fan of My Christ. I don't like olives. They're good Lord. They're very weird looking. I'm surprised you like olives because they really look alien. And you have a lot of problem with these various... uh, creatures and uh they look like olives dude. <laughs> they, look like they look like eyeballs and they have these weird little pits in them the, well just no you get the peppered ones those are the pepper in them oh is that what that is i thought they had something in them that you're not supposed to eat they have a pit some of them but yeah. like some of them are de-pitted and they put peppers in them and it's uh, amazing yes yeah, i don't know i can't do it you got you got problems man well yeah i don't i don't think this is why but yeah i, I agree finally trent sinning has a question that is so annoying that i i hate it I actually hate this oh, question. Okay? okay. That's why I wanted to put it in. Trent says, hey, Colin and Chris, are treadmills just enslaved roads? <laughs> Doesn't even make any sense, Trent. Uh, are re- treadmills just enslaved it's, it's roads? It's Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic level stretching. Are they enslaved roads? What, what is a road? Uh, is a road free? I don't understand. Yeah, roads that. aren't free. Roads are also And roads slaves. also don't move. Yeah. So like it's more like a, huh. a it's more like a, a, a like a Mobius strip of road yeah. that's constantly trying to escape but never can. Right. It's a Groundhog's it's a Day road. Yeah. Where it finds itself back where it was. See, you're you make a good point. Regular roads are slaves. Right? <laughs> I mean, he's asking, are treadmills just enslaved roads? But roads don't have any any agency. They're just slaves to cars. No, if, and anything, bikes. They, if anything, they got a way worse time because yeah. they're just outside in the boiling sun. Dogs are peeing on them. Oil yeah. is just spraying all over them. Yeah. Earthquakes ripping them apart. Trent, I think you're backwards on this one. I think you're thinking a little backwards. Yeah. The treadmill is living the, the lavish life. Air conditioning. You know, that's really it. Right. <laughs> I guess because it. Yeah, uh, I hated that. That's question. a terrible question. I hate I that it. with all my heart. Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You have here in our list Resident Evil four. four. Yeah, I haven't played it in a very long time. And even like even back then when I played it, I, I kind of like half heartedly played it. I played a little bit of it and I was like, ah, this is fine, I guess. Yeah, but I'm actually liking it a lot. It's a, it's definitely like a step backwards from Resident Evil two remake. Like as far as controls go, that camera is like surprisingly wonky. Yeah, it's not good. Like it's it's astounding. Doesn't but, hold up. It's got an atmosphere to it. I really like it. Like, way more of an atmosphere than I thought it would, given that it's, like, the turning point for the series where it started to go, like, a, a bit action-y. But it's still creepy. Like, it's really it's really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Resident Evil 4. I don't think that it holds up control-wise anymore. What I always remember about the game is how brown it is, which mm. is a different kind of... Uh, it's overcast and brown. It's outdoors. It's got a whole different kind of... It's not all outdoors, but it's got a whole different feel to it. And... 
that's what I really love about that game and why I think it's so special is because it you know it takes place in Spain, which is interesting. And I remember that was like the beginning of like, is this racist kind of stuff that was happening in video games? Because oh, yeah. you're killing only Spanish people. That obviously came to a head with Resident Evil 5. Yeah. If you recall when we were I remember black it. people. I don't know what, you know, it's Africa. So, I mean, I, you would assume that it would be populated by lots would of black people. It would be equal outrage if it was just white zombies. Be like, where's the representation? Yeah. You know, that would have been wouldn't it have been more actually wouldn't it have just been racist, period. If in Resident Evil five, they were just like, it's just white zombies. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, for sure. Like, <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? It's Africa. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't set your game somewhere if you don't want to uh, kill those people in zombified form. So I'm glad you're enjoying Resident Evil four. Are you playing it on PC? I'm playing it on it was free on Game Pass. And I was like, oh, weird. OK, I, I might as well play this. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I've been uh, playing it on that. Definitely play it feels weird on an Xbox controller because I think I played it on was it on GameCube? Yeah, it started on GameCube. Yeah. That was where I it played was it on first. GameCube and it's like a little I don't know. It takes some getting used to, but really good. Yeah, it came to GameCube and then it came to PS2, I think, a year later. Uh I said last week, I think when we discussed it briefly, I still think the Wii version is the best version of the game. Right. Which is weird, but but true. Uh, Chris, I wrote here on my list, uh, I played the Division 2 and Fell Seal. Now we've talked about both of these games, but I wanted to bring them up because I beat both of them. Uh, this past weekend, you beat the division two. I beat the division How? two by playing the video game and uh, okay. getting to the end of it. Right. And uh, <laughs> it, you know, I, I just it was on my cross media bar, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go back and play this, and it's so good. That game really is great, and uh, I really, really enjoyed getting through to the end of it myself. I, the one complaint I have about it is that the level cap seems to be a little low. Uh, I, I the level cap is thirty, and I was surprised that even with this new content out that it's still at 30, but I know that there's a bunch of post game, like a whole meta thing of yeah, upgrading, yeah. which is really cool. I was actually really impressed by that. If I didn't have other stuff to play, I would probably have stuck around and played the game more because I do like how there's like this, I don't know what you, it's like almost like a prestige upgrading system. Yeah. And it's not a bad game at all. No, man. Super solid, especially like it, it's a, as far as tactical third person shooters go, it's genuinely solid. I really like it. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of think about it like I want to I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll go. I don't think I'll platinum it because that requires too much. But it's like, oh, maybe I can go clean up a few more of these trophies and have a little more fun with it. Mm. There's some I like playing it by myself. I think it's just really fun, like man versus the world kind of shit and like very meticulously and slowly going through the maps and the missions. It's cool. Yeah. You know? The world design's really good, too. Mm. Like just like the general layout of the map and how much is how much detail is in everything. But it's not like detail for the sake of detail sake. It's genuinely like stands out. Yeah, it's there's a lot of little stuff in the game that all adds up to something big. I really think that they've done a nice job. I, I think the division, not that I've played all these other kind of games as a service, but the division really speaks to me. I, I really hope that they continue to, you know, crank those out every couple of years because I'll, I'll definitely play more. The other game, Fell Seal, again, I, I've re recommended Fell Seal. And by the way, it's Fell. A lot of people ask me Fell Seal, F-E-L-L-S-E-A-L, Fell Seal. Mm -hmm. Two separate words. Two separate words. Arbiter's Mark is the uh, subtitle and it's a strategy role-playing game as I told you turn-based just like Final Fantasy Tactics I finally this weekend went back and beat it there's still more stuff I want to do because there's special endings and stuff but Chris what I find so interesting about the Division 2 and Felseal is that I put the games down and then went back and played them again later and was really glad that I did and this is a very unusual thing for me usually when I put a game down I can't go back to it after a while but this this is like a new era for me. This it's weird. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I was really excited about it. It's hard for me to do that too. I usually like put it, if I, if I put down a game, 
And then I tried to pick it up again. I was like, ah, I'm going to play something else that I'm used to playing instead. You yeah, know what I mean, definitely. It took me a little while to get used to it. But then I really started pushing it. Like then I was like, I'm going back to Rage 2. And then I put Rage 2 in and I played that for a little while. And all, and I was, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm functioning at a higher level right now. Let's say that. <laughs> you're high functioning am. is what you're saying. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am high functioning. That That's is good. That is true. Jason Olmstead wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, fellas, I just wanted to support Colin's opinion on Persona 4 being a fairly good game, though slightly overrated. I don't think it's I just want to clarify. I think it's a very good game and it's very overrated. I just wanted to say that it gets the number one spot in every list for the best Vita games, leading me and others to believe that the game must be something truly special. But after trying at least 10 times to get into the game, only to lose interest several hours in, I've decided it just doesn't have that special sauce I want. But. You have you, my friend, are playing the wrong Persona game. What? I have officially beaten five and can confirm it is 100% one of the finest turn-based role-playing games ever. Every game mechanic has been streamlined and smoothed to perfection. I loved every bit of my 120-hour playthrough. So with my newfound understanding and appreciation for the series, I decided to go back and give four another shot. Unfortunately, I like the game even less now. After playing the newest iteration, the flaws of its 11-year-old predecessor were only emphasized. So Colin, maybe give Persona 5 a try. You might be pleasantly surprised, or you might think it's just a dumpster juice. Who knows? Thanks for the content. He says, keep poking them innards. What the fuck does that mean? That sounds disgusting. Innards? Keep poking those innards. Oh, gross. Jesus, that seems a little perverted. Yeah. Jason, I don't, I don't know about like that. that. That seems like visual novel shit. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not talking about those weird <laughs> Vita games. Yeah. All right. So, Jason, I, and everyone out there, I want to be really clear. Stop recommending me Persona games. I gave you your Persona 4 play. OK, I did it. I sat there and I played and I played. I, I played it for more than 30 hours now. OK, yeah. It's just not as good as you guys claimed it was. 120 hours is a long time. That's that's every Marvel movie twice. That's a lot. But here's That's the thing. a lot of time to put into a game like that. Here's the thing. You guys, for years, since I was on Podcast Beyond, for years, <laughs> told me to play Persona 4, begged me, harassed me constantly. I played it. Okay? I gave it a shot. It's fine. It's not bad. I like it. I think it's good. Colin, it's if you not... played it at the time, you would appreciate it more. Probably. Probably not, though. And then, and then so you have the audacity. You have the audacity to recommend me Persona 5? <laughs> Stop! I can't take it anymore. <laughs> you, you weren't enveloped by that world? You don't want to go back to that world? I just don't. I, now I think you guys are fucking with Is me. Is Persona like a Final Fantasy type deal where they like, it's a different cast of characters every time? Or is it like a, or is that a single group of characters that you follow every I think it's very much like Final Fantasy in the sense that it is a different group of characters in a different story, but there are some like Chocobo, you know, or yeah, Cactar, yeah. The, the cactus up there. I'm pointing at my shelf. You guys obviously can't see it. Those are like in many Final Fantasy games. Cactar, obviously, in every one of yeah. them, basically. That thing, six. that thing looks like one of those one of those animatronic Christmas tro- uh, toys that would sing Feliz Navidad, that would dance. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do remember. I don't see it, <laughs> but I remember what you're talking about. Cactar right. is awesome. He's he. I love it because he's. Do you ever ever seen him in the game before? In a Final no, Fantasy? I don't think so. So basically, he just he appears. He looks just like that. He's a cactus that's running, and he's worth like a ton of experience points and gold if you can kill him. But he basically just escapes immediately. He's a sentient cactus that you have to kill. Yeah, Does I mean, it, it's that. It's not that weird. Is, is, it? is there any torment that is displayed? Is, is 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 there any like hint that he's aware of how monster how monstrous he is? No, as a creation. I, I think he's confused why everyone's beating on him. You know, I don't know why he would be confused. He's a living cactus. Yeah, that is true. I would immediately kill it. Yeah. 
I always love, you know, I was thinking about Final Fantasy VII recently because we'll see it in the remake. And early in Final Fantasy VII, there's an enemy that's like a gigantic house that like you run into and like, right. How are you going to do that? This made a little more sense in the polygonal era. How are you going to visualize this? These weird Japanese role playing realistic house fighting you. (laughs) It'd be like Monster House. Oh, yeah, that could work, actually. Fair enough. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. There's a lot to get through. Took us long enough. I know. (laughs) I know we're like a half an hour into the show here. Number one. The gaming industry has beaten the American government to the punch yet again, announcing regulations it will be instituting on itself to help regulate loot boxes, which are becoming increasingly important to fund various studios and publishers, while at the same time being looked at by many as unfair at best and predatory at worst. The Entertainment Software Association, the American gaming industry's lobbying arm in Washington and the organization responsible for E3, organized the new regulations. According to the website Games Industry International, the ESA's chief counsel of tech policy, Michael Warneck, uh, said in part, quote, I'm pleased to announce this morning that Microsoft, Nintendo and Sony have indicated to the ESA a commitment to new platform policies with respect to the use of paid loot boxes in games that are developed for their platforms. Specifically, this would apply to new games and game updates that add loot box features, and it would require the disclosure of the relative rarity or probabilities of obtaining randomized virtual items in games that are available on their platforms. As well, many of the leading video game publishers of the Entertainment Software Association have decided that they are going to implement a similar approach at the publisher level to provide consumers this information and give them enhanced information to make purchasing decisions, end quote. The website notes that this is precisely what both Apple and Google have done on their own platforms beginning in 2017. The ESA notes that these regulations will go into effect in 2020 and that the following publishers are on board outside of the hardware manufacturers. Activision Blizzard, Bandai Namco, Bethesda, Bungie, EA, Take-Two, Ubisoft, WB Interactive, and Wizards of the Coast. This news comes on the back of some entities like San Diego-based Psyonix opting to remove loot boxes from its game Rocket League completely. The ESA's move to self-regulate is identical in many ways to the ESA's creation of the ESRB, or Entertainment Software Ratings Board, which began in 1994 as a response to governmental threats to regulate the industry for violent and explicit content. Well, that's all good. So what do you think about this? I think this is a smart move. It's It's a a positive step for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. This keeps the government out, which is I, I wrote this on the Internet or on the Internet on Twitter. The. Gaming industry in America is incredibly adept at keeping the government out of its business. Uh, yeah. Very much unlike a lot of other industries in the United States, the gaming industry is all over keeping the government out, which is amazing. They're very libertarian in, in that sense. And the ESRB, for people that don't know, which is what you, where you get your rated M or your T, that's not the government. That The video game industry decided to do that itself when the, when the government threatened the gaming industry that they would regulate them if they didn't do it themselves. Right. So this is another step in that direction basically kind of poking and prodding them so that there's no legislation. So I think it's positive, too, but I don't think it's going to change anything. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say now because it's such a weird it's such a weird thing that's even happening in the first place. So to, to predict how this will go or whether or not it would make any difference, I think is kind of like pointless. I, I, I do think 
I, I don't think this is going to be enough to keep the government out, honestly. I think they're going to continue to try, like, what, what, is, what is going on here? I think this is kind of like more of like a, a, like a, a save face kind of thing. But I don't know. We'll see. To it's me, weird. It, it, the probabilities are interesting because I assume that's to stop it to be lo- or stopping people looking at it like it's gambling straight up. But I feel like people that have been to casinos and we've talked about my love of gambling in casinos. You do know the odds. If you don't know the odds explicitly, a lot of the tables will tell you the odds explicitly. Mm. If you play blackjack, it'll tell you you have certain odds to pull certain cards and stuff like that. And they're not using one deck. They're using multiple decks. But if you watch like the World Series of Poker, it always says like there's an 88 percent chance that the person with this hand is going to win. So the probability is even there in gambling. So I don't know that it allays that particular fear well, because basically now they're just saying, well, I never looked at it as gambling to begin with. I think you're just buying something. It's like buying a pack of baseball cards, in my opinion. It's not gambling. But this actually makes it seem like it's in other words, I think this actually makes it seem like it's more gambling than it was because now, now they're like, <laughs> here are the probabilities. <laughs> it's like, yeah, OK, so, yeah. and just like in a, just like when you're playing a, a Hold'em or whatever in, in the casino and they're like, well, here's uh, the probability you're going to get a full house. It's just, it seems like it's kind yeah. of. No, I know I mean, what you mean. It's very I think it's kind of counterintuitive, but I guess that it, it solves some problem. Number two. Sony has revealed the best-selling digitally sold games from the PlayStation Store for the month of July 2019. PS4's top 20 best-selling games were in order. Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto V, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare 2, Rainbow Six Siege, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Spider-Man, EA UFC 3, Crash Team Racing Nitro-Fueled, Rocket League, PUBG, MLB The Show 19, Need for Speed Payback, Battlefield 4, Devil May Cry HD Collection, FIFA 19, Destiny 2, DayZ, The Sims 4, Gang Beasts, and Red Dead Redemption 2. PSVR's top 10 best-selling games were in order. Beat Saber, Super Hot VR, Vacation Simulator, Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted, Job Simulator, Blood and Truth, PlayStation VR Worlds, Arizona Sunshine, Astrobot Rescue Mission, and Drunken Bar Fight. The best performing free-to-play game was Don't Even Think, followed by Fortnite and Apex Legends, while Fortnite dominated the DLC and expansions list. As you'll recall, Sony no longer reports PS Vita's sales data, so we have no information on that. Drunken Bar Fight is an amazing name. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Really clever. I don't know anything about that game, but it snuck into the PSVR list. I was also pleased to see uh, Vacation Simulator in there as well as that yeah. just came out. And Blood and Truth is holding on as well. But I, I, w- I wish we knew the relative numbers. Like when you see a game, let's say like uh, Blood and Truth at number five or number six, does that indicate that that sold 10,000 copies? 5,000? 25,000? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I'm curious about. Who knows? Number three, this is an interesting one. Quantic Dream, the French team best known for its long-running second-party relationship with PlayStation. Of course, they made games like Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human, and Beyond Two Souls. Has officially broken free of Sony exclusivity, which we already knew. But now we know the full extent of their post-PlayStation ambitions. Thanks to an interview with website DualShockers, Uh, they conducted it with Quantic Dream head David Cage. Cage told the website that he and his team had basically decided to leave the PlayStation exclusive ecosystem a couple of years before Detroit even launched. And that, quote, after having worked exclusively with PlayStation for 12 years, we thought it was the right time for us to put our money where our mouth is, end quote. However, Cage stresses that nothing negative happened with PlayStation to push them in this direction, quote, we always had a great relationship with Sony PlayStation. They have always been very supportive of my work and we have always been very loyal to them in return. So we had a very open talk about all this and they allowed us to release our catalog of titles on PC, end quote. Interestingly, while Quantic Dream says its future games will be available on many platforms, including possibly mobile, what's most interesting is that it's also going to start publishing other developers' games. So there's a few things in here. Uh, They decided to leave Sony years before Detroit came out, so there was really no hope that we were going to get another one of those games for PlayStation. Mm -hmm. 
that NetEase, of course, which is a Chinese company, we didn't discuss that here, but they invested in Quantic Dream. Sony allowed Quantic Dream to publish its PC uh, games on PC, which is interesting. So they didn't just do that on their own. They couldn't have done that. They don't own the IP. And that they're going to be a boutique publisher of games moving forward and that they're going to allow the people that they work with to retain their IP, which is something that they were not allowed to do. So uh, as far as I understand, actually, I don't think Detro I don't think Quantic Dream owns any IP at all. Hmm. Going all the way back to Nomad and uh, the Indigo Prophecy and stuff like that. I don't think they own any of that stuff. So new times for Quantic That's Dream. That's really su super interesting. That NetEase stuff is it creeps me out, though, honestly. Like, it's so much Chinese money yeah. like flowing in. And it's like, what does that what does that mean? What's going on? People have a problem with that, with what's going on with Epic, too, because uh, Tencent, I think, owns a piece of Epic. And there's apparently, like, some Chinese like spyware in the oh, launcher. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, know if that's really true. I, I, I don't think that's true based on what I've looked at. I, I, that seems weird, but it is, it is strange. Like I know Bungie got like a uh, 10 cent or like net, I think in a net and net ease investment too. Yeah. There's uh, the Chinese money's flowing. It's funny how people talk about it too, because it's, it is dark money in a way because it's coming from a communist ecosystem, a communist economy. And it, it makes you wonder like, to what end, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. Make money, but then maybe admit that you're more capitalist than you think. Although I think that they've pretty implicitly admitted that for like 30 years now. Yeah, for sure. Number four, it's clear now that Microsoft is planning on playing a different sort of game with its fully owned studios and the IP it puts out into the world. Website Push Square relays word from Game Informer's podcast in which Matt Booty, who is the head of Xbox's first stu party studios. It's a great name. Yeah, fantastic. That guy's tough as fuck, I bet. Oh, oh, you have to be. Yeah. I worked with a guy named Steve. My, my editor-in-chief when I left IGN was named Steve Butts. Yeah, yeah. Which is another. You I had a friend uh, in my high school named, uh, uh, what was his name? Jackson Dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty rough for him. <laughs> Website push square relays word from Game Informer's podcast in which Matt Booty, who was head of Xbox's first party studios, was asked specifically if Double Fine's games would appear on PlayStation and elsewhere, even though Microsoft just acquired the studio. Quote, yeah, I think we would, in he says, in, in terms of putting games on, on other platforms. I think that the question is less binary about should it be on Switch, should it be on PlayStation and more? Does it make sense for the franchise? In other words, is it a kind of game where it would benefit from the network effect of being on a bunch of different platforms? Or is it a game where we could best uh, best support it by putting resources into it and making sure that our platforms, things like xCloud, Game Pass and Xbox Live are really leaning into the support of the game? End quote. That's pretty interesting stuff. Mm hmm. This, by the way, I got so much shit when I said that at one point Microsoft was talking internally about putting Halo Master Chief Collection on PlayStation. A lot That was something I, I heard from an incredibly reliable source back when I worked at IGN years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. And this is this is kind of the move that they've been working towards yeah. for a, a while now. I would love that. That would make a lot of sense. They do this with Minecraft already. Matt Booty did talk about that apparently in the interview, and we know that. And we've talked about how I think that's weird. Right from their standpoint, but they obviously have a blue ocean strategy of getting their games in a lot of on a lot of stuff. This makes me wonder. I just saw my buddy actually, Drew Murray, who's one of the leads of the initiative, and he used to work at Insomniac. He was uh, the the creative director of Sunset Overdrive. He was the creative director of Resistance, and he's over at the initiative now, which is Microsoft's new studio here in Santa Monica. And I just saw him. We we talked about nothing related. I just saw him when I was walking into the store. But it started jogging my mind. I'm like, huh, I wonder if their game will be on PlayStation. Like, I wonder what Microsoft is really planning to do with these various teams. And Double Fine has a long pedigree of multi-platform. And like we said, actually, we're in bed with PlayStation for a little while when they were doing Full Throttle Remake and all these kinds yeah. of things. Grim Fandango. 
So I think that this is them starting to talk about and laying the seeds, Chris, very slowly, just like you do in a marketing and PR plan. Just start getting it out there so that when Double Fine's game is announced and it does come to Switch or it does come to PlayStation, that people aren't blown away by that. I think this is the game they're playing. I think so. Believe dollars to fucking donuts, Chris. If someone went to Media Molecule or Naughty Dog and asked them the same question, they would be like, there's no way that our games are coming on any other platform. So this is a... This is a different kind of thing they're doing here. Yeah. And I think it's positive. I'm excited. Me too. At the prospect of it. I think it's positive. I think it's a great thing. It depends on where you make your money and where you want to make your money. And I think that they want to make their money in publishing. Yeah. You know, will we even see Game Pass on PlayStation 5? I mean, these are the kinds of things that I'm starting to think about. (laughs) You know, like how crazy, like just how crazy are we going to get? That's the question I want to know. I think it's going to get pretty wild. You want to get nuts? Put put Halo on uh, Switch so Master Chief can be in Smash. And you can fulfill my dream. Didn't they say something? I could be making this up, but didn't they say something? Well, first of all, they put Banjo in there. Yeah. Didn't they say something about being amenable to that? I wonder if we'll see the more more Xbox characters. Like, if Snake can be in there, I think that Master Chief would fit. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you'd have everybody. Put the car from Forza in. (laughs) The car. (laughs) What what was your friend's name? Mike Dipshit? Uh, Jackson Jackson Dipshit. Jackson Dipshit. Real name. Middle name was... uh, a slur, I, th- I believe. <laughs> <laughs> he had a rough go. Yeah, man, oh man. I did know um, my sister Allie knew people in high school. I never met them, but their last name was uh, Finn. So she knew a guy named Huckleberry Finn that was like a boy. What? But then he had younger twins, like twin boy and girl named he and she. He, sh- he Finn and she Finn. Good Lord. Which I think is... People shouldn't have kids if they're going to do that. I just don't that's think people should have kids. Let's just I mean, end yeah, this. but also that's Let's just end abuse. the charade. <laughs> I just... Number five, even while it seems to have completely hemorrhaged its player base, EA-owned developer BioWare is continuing support of its once-promising loot-based shooter, Anthem. A major new update, 1.3, has finally brought the Cataclysm game mode to Anthem many months after it was originally promised. Cataclysm is only accessible to those who have completed the in-game incursion mission, however. Alongside the Cataclysm mode, there are some new story missions. You can download a guild app to your mobile phone for easy communication. There are a ton of new weapons and gear, and a whole host of other tweaks and fixes as well. Chris... Too late? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Absolutely. I forgot about it. The story that I got this from, I don't remember where it was, but the story head or the lead was something like they updated it, but no one cares. And I, I'm not seeing anyone talk about Anthem at all. Not that I'm like keeping the closest eye on everything, but you even see shit like Fallout 76 pop up every once in a while. I'm not seeing Anthem popping up yeah. with anyone. You see old games pop up all the time. You see Destiny 2, people are talking about it because there's a new update. You see people talking about Fallout 76. You see people talking about literally everything else, quite frankly. Evolve. (laughs) Evolve. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. And it's like, I don't know, man. This seems like, just admit it. Just, you know, the chips are down. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, they're in a a weird space where they have to support it It because people bought it. It feels like a pride thing. I don't think that people are really clamoring for this. I don't even think the player base is really clamoring for this. I think the player base would be more excited by a new thing. Yeah. You know? Like a Mass Effect game, for instance. Yeah. Like a good Mass Effect game? A good Mass Effect game or something that's not a damn looter shooter of any kind. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Anthem. It's sad, definitely. Yeah. Because you know that a lot of work went into it, you know? It shows. You know, it's a beautiful looking game, at least in some parts. And it's like, you know, it's a a damn shame when these things don't work out, but sometimes you just got to admit, like, ah, this is not working... You know, and just keep keep going. They can they can clearly do that. 
So I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Bioware is in any existential pr- trouble no. at all. But move them on to something else, maybe. But I, I feel like they're in a. This is why it's so important to do this only if you're deliberately going to release a great game and you know it's going to yeah. be great and have an audience because this is the catch-22, Chris. You put the game out, you spend a lot of money in it, but then people do buy it and then you can't abandon it really because then you really create problems for your brand and your publisher. And so this is why you just, I don't know, man, unless you're certain, you have to be certain. It's like Anthem probably could have even used another year in you know and baking. And I know that that would have been insane but wouldn't it have been wiser for them to be like, fuck it, let's hold this game, get it right, release it cross-platform next year. We don't, we can move on to everyone else to something else in the meantime and like, let's really nail it. But reading the Kotaku story a while ago about how tortured the development was and how they, they didn't even have the game really running right until like the last year. And I don't know. It's just not good. Not a good sign. I did call that one a mile away, but I oh, mean, yeah. anyone could have called oh, that. Yeah, I think we both did. <laughs> Number six. It turns out Activision's brief marriage to famed Japanese developer From Software was well worth it. According to website Gamatsu, From Software reported new sales figures in the financial report of Katakawa Corporation, which is the company that owns From. And at the end of June, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice has sold 3.8 million copies, making it safe to assume that it's well past 4 million units sold by now. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice came to PlayStation 4 and elsewhere back in late March. It seems likely now that we can expect it to be followed up by a sequel. In the coming years, 3.8 million, not too shabby. Very happy about that. I don't like it, but I'm glad for them. Happy for you. Yeah, so good. And I'm happy for Jackson (laughs) Dipshit. Dipshit. We can't say his middle name. (laughs) Number seven, publisher Activision had a financial call this week where the company revealed some interesting new details and tidbits. For starters, the company reaffirmed what we already knew thanks to leaks surrounding next year's Call of Duty's contentious development, but Call of Duty will continue to be annualized, which is noteworthy considering so many games are doubling and tripling down on persistent games as a service. Perhaps most interestingly, though, according to website GamesRadar, the publisher noted that more remake compilations like Crash and Spyro will be coming thanks to their smash commercial success and warm critical reception. However, it's hard to tell what other IP Activision owns that it can mine. The most obvious answer is Tony Hawk, but the company also owns MechWarrior, Pitfall, Soldier of Fortune, Vigilante 8, and a few other smaller potential IP. Many of their biggest games outside of Call of Duty were done with other IP owners, including Marvel. I really scoured, Chris, their list of IP. I'm like, well, what else do you have? And there really isn't that much because they did a bunch of Spider-Man games. People liked it, X-Men and obviously Call of Duty and all the stuff related to that and Destiny they no longer have. So you have to go back. Yeah. Tony Hawk to me is the only other game series that I can really think of that they own that they could put this level of work in and sell copies. Like imagine if they remade Tony Hawk 1, 2, and 3, for instance, right? Well, I well here's the thing too. It's like there are Crash games and Spyro games that are after the PS1 golden era that people have come around to liking apparently. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see those like maybe re-released at some point. Enter the Dragonfly. Enter the Dragonfly, Crash of the Titans or whatever. One of those was kind of okay. I remember Twin Sanity, I think, was the one that was kind of okay. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think their best bet, honestly, would be to just be like, hey, just get these studios that worked on these remakes and make a new one of those. Yeah, like make right? a new platformer, cartoon platformer. Yeah. People would be totally down for like, imagine a Crash Maker. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. A Crash Bandicoot Mario Maker type deal. That's a great idea. Why not just do that? That'd be really neat. Complicated. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mario Maker's probably complicated. Hmm. That's a nice idea. I mean, because Tony Hawk doesn't work because of the probably literally infinite licensing 
deal things that they have to deal with there. The yeah. Board, the board companies, the people that are in the game, but obviously. But those songs are probably old enough that there's probably not that high of a demand for them anyway. Sure. So maybe it's probably way cheaper now than it probably would have been to just uh, even back then, maybe. Plus, I don't really. That's true, Chris. Plus, I don't really like with a, a publisher like Activision has so much money. Like, just pay. I mean, if, if it costs the amount of money to get these guys back in the game, to get the boards and the companies to get the music, then just pay and do it. Yeah. Because it would be cool to see Tony Hawk remade the original two, especially the second one. Do you think one. that Tony Hawk is too much of a 90s thing, though? Mm. Or an early 2000s thing? Like, is skating really that big now? I think skating is big still. Is I don't it? know for sure. I think so. Everybody knows who Tony Hawk is, but right. he's like from the early 2000s, late, like, yeah, even 90s. earlier than that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, who can you name like a popular skater now? No. Yeah. No, I can't. Maybe they will be like, What's it? What's the thing that people are rolling around on? It? Segways? No, se- Segway Extreme. <laughs> Tony Hawk Segway. Yeah, as he gets older, maybe he's going to need to do that. Maybe those bird scooters. The, oh god, I hate those things so much. I hate them. How, how many times can a man possibly be run over by those things before someone does something about it? The answer is uh, no one's ever going to do anything about it. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, number eight. Silicon Era has relayed a disturbing report out of Japan revolving around a 40-year-old man named Kenichi Hiratsuka. I think I got that right. Yeah. Hiratsuka has been accused of sending death threats to Japanese publisher Square Enix, among them a promise to repeat, in quotes, what happened at Kyoto Animation, the attack on the Japanese animation firm that killed more than 30 people. Silicon Era notes that the man was sending these threats through the company's website and seemed to be mad over a Square Enix published game and his desire for a refund. Insane. Just absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. It's good to know that the USA doesn't have a, a monopoly on insanity. No, we certainly don't. <laughs> Especially, you know, Jap- Japan's interesting because it's such a repressed society in a lot of ways that I think that it makes these particular stories more notable. Yeah. Because it's not a society rife with criminality. It's not a society rife with any of that. It's a so- society much are built on a lot of respect and a lot of pride and honor. So this kind of yeah. shit always stands out to me. Which means it's probably got a pretty insane seedy criminal underworld, I would imagine. Yeah, like <laughs> we see that, of course, in the popular video game franchise, Yakuza. Yee. Number nine. It appears the quirky Nintendo-centric cooking series Cooking Mama is making the jump to PlayStation 4 and other non-Nintendo platforms outside of mobile for the very first time. Website Push Square reports that a game called Cooking Mama Cookstar has emerged in the game's rating listings in both Australia and Germany. And while the game is, of course, coming to Switch, it's also coming to PS4. Cooking Mama is developed by Japanese team Cooking Mama Limited, a studio once known as Office Create. But the games in the series have been published by multiple publishers, including Taito, Square Enix, the now-defunct New Jersey-based publisher Majesco, 505 Games, and even Nintendo itself. It's unclear who is publishing this game, however. The original Cooking Mama came to Nintendo DS in 2006, and the next year the series made its console debut on Wii. The most recent game, Cooking Mama Sweet Shop, came to Nintendo 3DS in May of 2017. Those games are really cute, and uh, I think that's cool that it's making a jump to PS4. It's too bad it didn't happen earlier. We could have gotten those games where they really made sense on Vita. Yeah. But alas. But alas. Number 10. 
Some months ago, we discussed the remake of the game 13, which is XIII for people that want to know. 13 was a Ubisoft developed and published game that uh, was launched on PS2, Xbox and GameCube in late 2003. And it was based upon a portion of a Belgian graphic novel of the same name. The game was slated to emerge by the end of 2019, and now we know it's been delayed until 2020. The remake is being published by a company called Microids and is being developed by a studio called Play Magic. Microids told website Destructoid that they, quote, are thrilled with Play Magic's work so far. This additional development time is needed to reach the level of polish we're aiming for, end quote. The original game, a super stylish first-person stealth shooter, received a mediocre reception when it came out, so it's safe to assume they're really trying to get it right this time. This is cool. We talked about this when it was first announced. I'm really looking forward to this. I don't yeah. know anything about the graphic novel, but I really liked the way 13 looked and played back in the day. Yeah. So we'll see how this all turns out. Me too. It's really cool. It's, a, it's such a weird game to take a chance on too. Yeah, I really agree. Really neat. I agree. 100%. Also, with Ubisoft having developed and published the first game, as I noted, I wonder how the IP transferred, who owns it, etc. I'd imagine they probably got rid of it because they didn't see much value in it. I would assume so. Yeah. Number 11. It looks like one of the two Plants vs. Zombies games currently being quietly tested by small handfuls of players will be called Battle for Neighborville. The new subtitle comes by way of website Gamatsu, which reports on a European trademark publisher Electronic Arts filed, which reads in full, Plants vs. Zombies, Battle for Neighborville. You'll recall that in previous weeks we've discussed Plants vs. Zombies dueling private alphas currently happening, one on Android for what seems to be Plants vs. Zombies 3, and one on PS4 and Xbox One for what appears to be Plants vs. Uh, Zombies Garden Warfare 3. It's unclear which game this title will represent. I wonder if it's going to be a political, dark, uh, gritty thriller. I hope so. Yeah. That would be awesome. Number 12. Another digital-only game has disappeared from storefronts, possibly forever. The latest game on the chopping block is DuckTales Remastered, which originally came to PlayStation 3 and other platforms back in August of 2013. It's essentially a shot-for-shot, pound-for-pound remake of the classic NES DuckTales game from 1989, which was developed internally by and published by Capcom. Capcom published this version too, but talented retrocentric indie dev WayForward developed it. However, about six years later to the date, the game has been scrubbed from all online shops and is no longer available to purchase anywhere. While Capcom was predictably vague in why this was happening, they did openly encourage people to buy it before delisting, as doing so would continue to give you access. So if you already own it, you can still download it. There's simply no way to buy it now, however. This is likely due to an expiring IP agreement combined with IP owner Disney's far more stringent controls over its various game properties, as we've seen with Marvel. So another game disappearing. Such a weird... It's so weird. I don't understand that. It's baffling. I'll reiterate that I was totally wrong about people's concerns about this happening. I, I was like, no one's going to take these games now. Why would they do that? Yeah. Well, it's IP, uh, licensing. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a messy game. Number 13, the long-awaited third Shenmue game, aptly titled Shenmue 3, is getting a bunch of pre-order bonuses that obnoxiously, they differ depending on which retailer you pre-order at. No matter where you pre-order the game, you'll get digital in-game goods like toy capsule tickets, a technique scroll, health elixirs, and more. But if you pre-order on Amazon, you get special gear DLC. If you pre-order at Best Buy, you get a steelbook case. And if you pre-order at GameStop, you get the so-called Dragon Phoenix Mirror Medallion. Meanwhile, THQ Nordic's upcoming Destroy All Humans remake is getting even crazier with the special editions. The Crypto 137 edition, which will cost $399.99, <laughs> comes with the game, a 23-inch high statue of Crypto 137, a Crypto 137 backpack, a keychain, some lithographs, and more. The cheaper DNA collector's edition, which is $149.99, comes with the game, a 9-inch crypto and cow figure, a keychain, lithographs, and more. While Shenmue 3, or Shenmue 3 is due out on November 19th later this year, Destroy All Humans Remake won't be out until sometime in 2020. Mm-hmm. You're excited about that? You're going to get that $399? Am I saying that Crypto 137? Is that yeah, yeah. I, you know, I may or may not have already got it, but you know. 
Oh, fair enough. I no, I, I got the uh, I got the the cheaper one. What is it? The the cow one? Yeah, one of him destroying a cow after crashing a saucer into it. it looks cool. Yeah, one forty nine. I just love that game a lot. So I was like, yeah, I, I want memorabilia of this thing. Sure. Why but, not? Uh, really early for them to be putting out. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, maybe if it's a February game or something, they'll uh, yeah get hype going. Finally, Chris, number 14 is a wrap-up. The PlayStation blog reports that Puzzle RPG Trine for the Nightmare Prince is coming to PS4 on October 8th. Website Silicon Error reports that Action RPG Indivisible is coming to PlayStation 4 the same day Trine 4 does, October 8th. Website Gamatsu reports that strategy game Lorne Sword Winter Chronicle is coming to PS4 in October. That cartoonish platformer Minute of Islands is coming to PS4 in the spring of 2020. That Dogfighter World War II is coming to PS4 at some point this fall. That RPG Children of Morta comes to PS4 on October 14th. That horror game Those Who Remain will come to PS4 at an undetermined point in the future. And that strategy RPG Dark Envoy is coming to PS4 in late 2020. Website Push Square reports that Zelda-like open-world RPG De- Decay of Logos is coming to PS4 on August 27th, and that quirky kickstarted game Knights and Bikes is coming to PS4 this August as well. And finally, publisher Square Enix has announced that its new Minecraft-like game Dragon Quest Builders has surpassed a million units sold worldwide, so congratulations to them. By the way, Chris, just two things. Decay of Logos looks really cool. It's L-O-G-O-S, so people should go look into that. Mm-hmm. And Knights and Bikes was from guys that left Media Molecule to make this game. So oh, I'm really? Yeah, I'm interested to see what is going on with those guys as well. That game was kickstarted ages ago. Oh, wow. wow. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Chris, it's time to talk about the new games coming out this week. Oh, boy. As... <laughs> I love how you say that. As dictated by tradition, Chris, you will go first. Yes. All right. Ancestors Legacy comes to PS4. Ancestors Legacy is a squad-based real-time strategy with a strong focus on tactics Inspired by medieval European history, it brings to life four uh, different nations and their conflicts, usually resolved by war. That's <laughs> how it feels like it's written. Uh, the game combines resource management and base building with large-scale squad-based battles across vast battlefields. Hmm. Edna and Harvey, Harvey's new eyes, comes to PS4. Shy schoolgirl Lily is having a tough time at the convent. <laughs> I bet she is. <laughs> Only her imagination helps her to escape from the strict rule of Mother Superior. When her best friend Edna disappears under mysterious circumstances, Lily faces a tough journey not only to get her friend back, but also confront her own subconscious fears. Mother Superior, nice. Subtle. Exception comes to PS4. When an old woman's computer system is taken over by a virus bent on total annihilation, you assume control of an ordinary software program transformed into an elite combat machine. Exception is a a combat platformer set inside a computer system which has been hijacked by a totalitarian virus. It's a totalitarian virus. It's a neat premise. What is a totalitarian virus? I don't understand what that means. I guess I'll have to play and find out. Yeah, exactly. Genesis comes to PS4. Genesis is an action-packed classic MOBA themed around a futuristic sci-fi setting, offering a rich roster of 28 original heroes, as well as various skins, weapons, and other cosmetics for players to choose from. Core gameplay will include a competitive PvP mode, as well as single-player co-op PvE campaign, or a single-player co-op PvE campaign. Gravity Duck comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Have you ever wanted to be rich? What if you could become rich and control gravity? This duck can, with your help, flip, dodge, and traverse mind-bending gravity puzzles in 140 levels in order to grab all the eggs and return to the Maui statue? All right. The Maui statue. I don't know what that means. That came out of nowhere. I know what Moai are, but not Maui. Is that... Am I saying that right? No, you're saying... No, Maui. That's spelled like Hawaii. Maui. Moai or M-O-A-I are... The, the weird statues on Easter Island. Oh, right. I think that might be what they mean. Ah, whatever. It's a <laughs> fucking duck. <laughs> no Man's Sky Beyond comes to PS4. 
No Man's Sky is an epic science fiction adventure set across an infinite universe in which every star is the light of a distant sun, orbited by planets filled with life each year is to visit. Explore never-before-seen worlds and trade, fight, and survive on a galactic scale. PC building simulator. It's awesome. I <laughs> That's think great. great. I love that. That's such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Comes to PS4. Uh, build and grow your very own computer repair enterprise as you learn to diagnose, fix, and build PCs with real-world license components and comprehensive hardware and software simulation. You can plan and bring your ultimate PC to life. Huh. I'm surprised this hasn't been done sooner, honestly. So, I think it's actually a really clever thing. Super that, clever, yeah. yeah. There's not many things that are clever anymore, Chris. Yeah. But that's clever. Vasara Collection comes to PS4 and Vita. For the very first time, highly acclaimed Japanese arcade shoot-em-ups Vasara and Vasara 2 are made available to the world via this collection. Science fiction meets history in these arcade classics, which take place in an alternate timeline, where technologically advanced weaponry and equipment are a reality. Quick word on this, by the way, Chris, before we move into questions. I tweeted out about this this weekend. These guys had a post on PlayStation Blog, and they dedicated so much time to the Vita iteration in terms of space in the post that I was like, I tweeted out and they tweeted back at me. I'm like, I'm definitely going to support your game. They gave an entire paragraph to PlayStation TV support. Yes, this game supports PlayStation TV. And not only does it support PlayStation TV, it supports multiplayer on PlayStation TV. So if you are a Vita fan, guys, now you should go look at the videos. Don't buy a game just to buy it if you're not in the shoot 'em ups and stuff. But this is a game worth supporting, I think, because these guys had put in the effort That's to really do cool. it right. Yeah, yeah, which I appreciate. Now, before we get into actual reader mail, I did want to note something. Eric Prophet wrote into us. He said, to the men, the myths, the legends. That's awesome, by the way. With the upcoming release of No Man's Sky Beyond update bringing VR to the game, will this be the title that you dust off the PSVR headset for? My VR unit has sat lonely on the shelf for a bit now, but seeing the depth of content that has been added since 1.0 looks tantalizing. This also looks compelling as previews show the controls have been thorough, or I'm sorry, thoughtfully redone for VR to make it more immersive. Thanks for all your insight and energy into this community. Is that tempting to you to play this now that it's on VR? This is, I always felt like should have been on VR. A little bit, yeah. I think it, as far as a VR game goes, it's probably like one of the more expansive ones. So for sure, yeah, this definitely, if I was to do that, yeah. I would definitely play it on VR. I've been thinking about breaking out the, my PSVR sitting right over there. Where it's just we're, such we're, a tedious thing to bring just, out. Yeah, it's annoying. It's just annoying as shit. There are a couple of games that have come out, including Vacation Simulator, which I've still not played. I love Job Simulator so much. I really got to play Vacation Simulator and I want to play Blood and Truth. So it might maybe soon, maybe even this week, maybe I'll, I'll set it up and actually just get those games out of the way. But but who knows? But yeah, I don't know. No Man's Sky, just when I played it, when it came out, just didn't resonate with me. It's just, I don't it's just so overwhelming. Let's put it that way to me. Right. I know some people are really, really love it. And they, you know what? Hello Games got a lot of shit. And I think rightfully so. They really, they, I think that they lied about their game. And I think that they 100%. misled people about their game. And I don't know if that's really more their fault or Sony's because Sony obviously was working with them in, in concert. And I really admire that they went and fixed the game. I really admire that yeah. they put their heads down and made it right. And that they really... I'll tell you, Chris, like that would have been the end of Hello Games if they didn't do that. Whether or not people cared about this or not, if they literally just like we're making something else now, people, I would be like, absolutely fucking not. Like, I'll, I'll never believe a word you say about your game ever again. Yeah. And they definitely turned things around. Yeah. With the way they handled it. Love and, it. Uh, kudos uh, to everybody who did it because it's, it's wild. Yeah. It's, it's super easy to be like, yo, I'm done. I'm stepping away from this. Absolutely. So I, I think that they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I did want to give them that before we get into reader mail chris it's kind of funny by the way that we're like we give them credit for that but like anthem it's like please for the love of god abandon it yeah because i think the thing with anthem uh, i could be wrong people can let us know chris but i think what strikes me different about it is that 
Bioware and EA never have acknowledged how bad it is. Yeah. Like as far as I know it's not like bad in a moment to moment way, but compared to the division two and destiny and all that kind of stuff, it just doesn't hold up. It's and the, I think it's the worst one. I think that I, hello games was immediately like, we'll fix it. And then they disappeared and they fixed it without like, you know, constantly talking about it and pretending that, you know, you know what I mean? So I, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think you're right. But I also think it's materially a little, a little different. Oh, for sure. All right, Chris, let's get into reader mail. All righty. Well, I don't know why we call it reader mail, but that's what we do. Jacob Lawler wrote in and said, hey, CNC, with Control coming out later this month, what are your expectations for this new IP? A one and done or Remedy's new workhorse? I think Thanks. it's a one and done. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't think this game's going to pop. I think it's going to be very good, but I don't think it's going to commercially pop. And yeah. so I don't know that there'll be more reason for them to, to get involved. But I'm excited about it. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I just love telekinesis, man. It's such a fun thing that like so few games do. I don't know why. It's like the ultimate. It's like one of the ultimate fantasies is to have to be able to move shit with your mind, like Beyond Two Souls, for instance. Terrible. Uh, terrible. I don't know. Just about, I don't know about that. One. I don't know about that. One. But Chris, I feel like with we're, you and I are both looking forward to playing Control, and yeah, I was thinking about it recently because I was like, you know, Remedy's games are a little bland looking, but then I really started looking at them again, and I'm like, you know what? They're not. They actually have a really it's realistic. It's gotten more realistic even since Alan Wake, but they have this really unique realistic art style that actually is very much their own. So it's not like just another shooter and another gritty world. It's actually something a little different. They've got their own tone, yeah. I think. It's like melodrama, but kind of great. You know, I don't know how to describe it. There's very few games that can pull off the level of melodrama that they can and not be laughed out of the room. It's very weird. Yeah, they, they do it. And I like melodrama where it works, just like I love camp. You know, when that, when you yeah, can exactly. do it, it works really well. It's and like so, the freeze frame in Spider-Man 2 when he's biting a hot dog. I don't even remember that. You don't remember that? No. They're playing raindrops are falling on my head and Spider-Man's just ignoring people as they die in the street because he doesn't want to be Spider-Man anymore. Oh. And then it freeze frames on a hot him eating a hot dog. Interesting. I don't it's, remember that. It's amazing. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the second one. The Alfred second Molina, one? Tobey Maguire. Okay. Yeah, the Maguire. That's what I meant. The Tommy Maguire one. Oh, by the way, in terms of control too with Remedy, again, we've we've talked about this and beaten this horse, but Sony is doing something with with Remedy, and that's what I'm most interested in. Why are they so interested in this game? Po, you know, I think Shuhei went and saw it, and others. Something's going on with these guys, and I really do feel like they're gonna. There's a decent possibility that they were purchased by Sony. We'll see. Why? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not so sure. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, there's just, it's just, isn't that, it could be interesting. Sony could just be interested being like, hey, let's go see the game and show them support. They haven't released a PlayStation yeah. in a while. It could be, it could be that. It could easy. be that. It's also, it could be just like the interest in the IP. It might just be like, this is a neat game. We want it on our platform, we'll especially to fill things out. Right. You know, it's certainly a great filler game because I think it comes out in August. If Does I, it? I think so. It went gold. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. If not, it comes out in September. Oh, it is August now. So I guess maybe in September it's gold. So it's done. So I guess we'll see how it goes. And uh, we'll, of course, talk about it when the game comes. Oh, definitely. Maybe we'll even do a spoiler cast or something for it. Yeah. Nick Eden wrote in and said, hello, handsome Colin and silly Chris. What is your non-announced most wished sequel? If mine is easy. Give me a damn new Splinter Cell game or give me death. Love yeah. you both. So, Chris, what is the sequel, a non-announced, so a sequel that doesn't necessarily exist, that you would like to see? That would have been mine. But Bully 2 would be cool. A second Bully would be awesome, I think. I think we were talking about this uh, a couple podcasts ago, actually. How that's like a game. It's like, oh, man, I want another one of those. Yeah, it's a game that almost doesn't seem possible anymore. But it, oh, but that's what makes it so good. 
But it would be, yeah, it would be cool. Well, Rockstar and Take Two would be the guys. Cyber bully people, maybe. Ah, the the the, the, the possibilities are endless. It is unfortunate that we are just not in a in an environment where it makes much sense to put yourself out there and it's just it's begging to be op-edited to death. But again, the publisher and developer combination of Take Two and Rockstar are are more than willing to do crazy shit. Yeah, and there's such a titanic presence. You know, it's like I, I I would love that. I think it would be pretty. But cool. beyond that, that my a Splinter Cell would have been mine. So I, I I'm angry at you for taking it. Yeah, for me, I would love to see a new Mega Man X game. I think it's time. Mega Man X Nine. We got Mega Man Eleven. I I don't see why we wouldn't get that. I think that would be a lot of fun. I always loved the Mega Man X, but as we talked about last year, Chris, around the time we started Sacred Symbols, when Mega Man X Legacy Collection came out, gave me a whole new appreciation just playing them back to back to back to yeah. back. And so I would like to see that. I think that would be fun. A Mercenaries Three would be cool too, but mm. Pandemic's not around anymore, so no, they're not. I don't know what the point would be. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Jose Horace wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, why is it that after all these years, Vita memory sticks are still so damn expensive? I understand that they are proprietary, but with the fact that there is no Vita support from Sony and production of the handheld has been discontinued, charging up to 99 bucks for a memory stick just feels like extortion. Do you think there will ever be a price drop for them or are us Vita enthusiasts doomed to be paying a premium price for these and other Vita accessories? <laughs> You're stuck with it, man, because you need it. You are stuck with it, but I also think that you can't really blame. I mean, you can blame Sony, but I think what ended up happening is that merchants ended up buying a bunch of this shit and now they're sitting on it and it's hard for them to you know at gross buy a $99 memory card for 80 bucks say and yeah, then charge yeah. you 50 for it. So I think that that has something to do with it. You could I don't know, I think you could blame Sony from like the from the offset for even having a proprietary memory card yeah. in the first place. Yeah, like they why wanted the hell would more you money. Do that? They wanted more money. I, I think that they, that was a huge blunder for sure. Yeah. It's also worth noting, and this is an important thing, Chris, it wasn't until like, so Vita came out in December of 2011 in Japan. It wasn't until, I want to say October, that they even discussed the memory cards at all. Yeah. Because they, they waited until the very last second. It really hurt them yeah. a lot. It was a, b- a bad idea. 
Joshua Taylor wrote in, said, hi, guys. With the recent Game Informer interview with the Call of Duty Modern Warfare devs, they said they don't consider their game political. While it, was, while it has political themes, it's not outright political. My question is, why do video games actively try to distance themselves from politics when other types of media seem to actively embrace it? Is it because they've been blamed for tragedies and violence since the inception of the SRB? By all accounts, there is no hard evidence that violent games make a person violent. Why do they back away when the opposition has no actual scientific data to back up their claims? Or is it something else entirely? I want to be really clear about something. We're going to talk about this in Sacred Symbols Plus, which is going to be about violence in games. There, I think people are conflating that there is no direct correlation in study to violence from the fact that a violent game can't cause someone to be violent. Those are two different things. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do our episode, which we'll do right after this, is because... Mm -hmm. I do think violent games can cause violence. And I think that by pretending that they don't, it's kind of silly because if five people that played Grand Theft Auto V were convinced to go like run someone over to the car, right? that speaks to them because 100 million people played it, right? And didn't yeah, do that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like a song could do that, really. Right. You know, literally any bit of media so can I, do that. I just feel like people are a little too defensive. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm like, we have to have an honest and earnest conversation about this. And I think people are too defensive about that. But that's an aside. The meat, Chris, of what he was discussing has to do with the political nature of Call of Duty Modern Warfare and how the devs are saying it's not political. I think that's hysterical. It would have to be political. It's a, a game about modern warfare. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, you can't, just, it's hysterical. You can't make it not political. I think what they mean is it's not it's not trying to push any particular narrative, I guess. It's, poli it's inherently political. I think a lot of... Anytime you build a world, I think, in fiction, you're kind of, it's kind of inherently political because you're making a system by which everything is supposed to operate. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're pushing an agenda or like necessarily trying to get something across, necessarily. But the idea that it's not political is kind of funny. It's just, I don't understand Joshua either. I don't understand why anyone would shy away from having political stances because I don't think it really alienates people like they think. Because it's true, like... Plenty of movies and TV shows have political points of view. Like West Wing is a great example, one of my very favorite shows. Yeah. That's a liberal administration, a democratic administration. I'm not a liberal at all, and I love it because well, it's a great show. Well, I, I, there's a lot of people online, I think, who are like, we don't want our stuff to be political. And it's, it's not necessarily that I think that I, I don't think that that's what they mean when they say that. What they mean is we we don't want it to be done as poorly as we've seen it done, because there's a lot of media and a lot of art lately. And I'm sure it's always been the case, but we've had time to sift through the bad stuff from previous generations, but like a lot of art now that's political is, um, you know, it's something unremarkable. It's unremarkable art that's created for the sake of sending a message as opposed to making something that is remarkable. That's elevated by having a, a reason behind it. Right. Like rage against the machine, right? Like you can be a, a staunch conservative and sing along to a lot of those songs because they're energetic and they're great. I love rage. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like, a La Tigre song that's just saying, I love Hillary. Oh, Hillary is great. Like, even people who agree with you probably aren't going to be too happy about it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, people just want good shit. And you can have whatever message you want in it, but the thing that you're sending out to people has to be worth, of, worth their time. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Chris, because I guess intent matters a lot, right? Yeah. I don't know that Rage Against the Machine would like that I listen to them. But I, I've listened to them for a long time and I really, really love them. Yeah. And actually agree with even some of the messages that they put out there. When I first heard People of the Sun um, and the first line is uh, in 1516, I was like, oh, <laughs> these guys sound like my kind of uh, my kind of band. But I feel like people need to more readily embrace, in my opinion, 
even the overt stuff. Not because you have to agree with it, but because I think closing your mind to these various things yeah. excludes you from conversation, excludes you from experiences that are valuable. And even if there was like a game that pushed a, let's just say like pushed a very pro socialist agenda or something, I'd be very interested to play that because no, exactly. Like yeah. it would give me some perspective. And I feel like people keeping politics out of games is dumb. And I understand what people mean by that. Yeah. And I don't think that there has to be a political message in every game, right? There's no political message in Mario. There's not, there's not, even no. if you try to read it or the people that like make up that Samus Aran is a, is transgendered. <laughs> no, she's not like you can't, you can't just make things yeah, up and yeah. make it political if there's no politics there. But there even might be politics in Metroid because it's about, you know, different planets and yeah, it's got to be in the world building, you know. So I hear you and, and I understand this fear, but I want deeper games and and games that are open to interpretation. And so that requires more perspective. And so to make a Call of Duty game and say it's not political, you're right. I understand what they mean because they're not saying like this is a pro Trump game or whatever, yeah. but it is political because like you said, it's about fucking war, which <laughs> is the end result of a breakdown of politics. It is the most political thing that can possibly happen Yeah, is, is violent conflict. I don't even think people don't want overt things like rage is pretty overt. I don't think there's really any like it's the second you read anything. I think it's pretty apparent what rage is. You know what I mean? Rage against the machine. I'm not, not the game, <laughs> but it's but it's good also and i think like art specifically needs to be good in addition to having a point it can't just have a point and then just be like oh well it's just a it's a blank canvas with with a red dot and this this is this uh is a commentary on war it's like no it's not this sucks <laughs> it's a dot <laughs> you know I don't know. I think people, I, I understand what people mean, but I, I think people are using the wrong verbiage. Yeah. As usual, misnomers, I think, weigh us down. And I think we have to continue to have these really important conversations because I just feel like there's nothing. It almost feels like there's like a fear, like a palpable fear. And I'm like, I don't get it, guys. Yeah. Like there are so many, there are so many games. It doesn't matter if people are making games that you don't agree with. Exactly. Or don't like it doesn't matter. And there's so many perspectives. And I don't know if I want to be in a world where people are afraid to make what they want to make you know if it's if you want to if you're a right-wing dude make a make whatever the hell you right. know if you're if you want to make a woke game i'll, I'll probably play it if it's good yeah know? i mean god like home is a decidedly woke game and i loved that game you know? yeah you know it's there's no issue with it just needs to be good nathaniel wrote in you said hello colonial colin and cavernous chris i don't like that yeah i don't like cavernous well yeah it's like what does that mean my hollow like <laughs> like i don't know maybe you are yeah, I mean, in some ways. What do you think is or should be the ultimate goal of game development? For me, I believe we should always be moving towards a Tolkien-style secondary world or sub-creation. That is, a world that is completely believable given the assumptions or rules it makes. This is an interesting question. I want to read it one more time, okay? He asks, what do you think is or should be the ultimate goal of game development? I want people to think about this out there. For me, I believe we should always be moving towards a Tolkien-style secondary world or sub-creation that is a world that is completely believable, given the assumptions or rules it makes. I think this is way too far for what a game should ultimately yeah. strive to be. I think that games can strive and do strive for that, lots of them. But I think that to have that believable world, given the assumptions or rules it makes, a, a, a secondary world, I, I don't know, man, because Mario has rules that make sense and work within the world, but it doesn't have a coherent message or feel really i don't really know what it's trying to tell me so i think that you're overthinking it in my estimation nathaniel yeah i think some games can do that i think the, the ultimate goal of game development should be to just make something engaging 
that the creator wants to convey, really. I don't think it's it needs to be any deeper than that, really. Crash Team, I don't know what the hell Crash Team Racing is. <laughs> it's fun, and right. I love it, and I'm glad it exists. And it wouldn't exist if the goal of it was to create a believable world. Yeah, fun is you the know? operative. Fun is definitely the fun operative, is the operative word. word. And you can and you can have fun watching, like you can have fun taking part in like a very dramatic narrative, like in The Last of Us. It's it's. I know. I remember. Uh, what, what was it that they said at Naughty Dog? That it was like we do, we don't consider our game fun. It's like, cal- all right, calm down. It, it is fun. People like pe- people have fun being f- afraid of things. That's right. what horror movies are. People go to the horror movie to have fun, even though it scares them. Because you can have fun in more ways than just being like, oh, wasn't that fun? It's more than just that. I feel like the word fun is like really kind of downplayed for some reason. Yeah, I think because it's it's so general and wide open. And I, I must admit that there are games that I loved and appreciated that I didn't think were very fun. I think Journey comes to mind for me. I don't think the game's fun at all, but it's like an experience. It's experiential, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess there is an exception made for that. But generally speaking, if I'm not having fun... And again, you're right. This is a very vague word. I'm, yeah. watching, I'm rewatching Battlestar Galactica for the third time right now, right? It's fun. I don't know that the story is fun. There's nothing fun happening in it. Yeah. But I'm having fun. Exactly. You can have fun with things that aren't fun. Yeah. Like, for instance, after this podcast is over, I'm going to beat Chris mercilessly within an inch of his life. And I'm going to find have that a lot of... It doesn't going to be fun for me. <laughs> Chris isn't going to have a lot of fun. I mean, how do you know? Well, we're going to find out. The closer I get to the light, maybe I'll, the more fun I'll have. Eddie Bush wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, how have we not gotten a remastered Infamous collection, specifically talking about one and two for PS4? It's one of the best and most popular exclusive franchises for PlayStation. So it seems like a no brainer to me. Do you think we'll ever get one for PS5? Maybe. Thanks, guys. And keep up the great work. I also want to note that another user named Andy wrote in asking the same question about Killzone. The, the answer is I do not know why I don't get it. I think this is some with Infamous. With Killzone and with a few others, they're going to have to make these games again unless the goal is to make PS5 backwards compatible with PS3, in which case that maybe that's why they're holding off. But I don't think so. My assumption is, is that Bluepoint has been working on other stuff that is more important to them. They're working on another one right now uh, that you guys will hear about, I assume, soon. That actually might be the game that's revealed at Gamescom, but I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you what it is, but I'm not going to. Uh, (laughs) So there's that. But I also think that, you know, if you look at Sucker Punch, they might have been like, we don't want to focus on this anymore and maybe you don't want to be the infamous guys right you know because the last of us remastered the last of us being a ps3 game naughty dog ported the last of us itself to ps4 and they did a lot of the reason that they did that was to learn the architecture and sucker punch didn't really have a need to do that because infamous second son was a native ps4 game that was made for launch but it ended up coming out a little bit later than that and so i think that has something to do with it too I, i don't know if it's necessarily that they wanted to be pigeonholed but it's that they didn't really have a technological or knowledge-based reason to port the games and maybe they just couldn't find or Sony couldn't find another team that could do it properly. But yeah. I agree, it's weird. It's totally weird because those games are great. They are great games, especially the second one. Eh. You have no taste. You have, you, have, <laughs> you like prototype. I do. You went on and on about prototype. Because it's senseless. <laughs> it's just senseless B-movie violence for no good reason. That's a game that's violent for the sake of being violent. Oh, there's no like, doubt about without that. Without a doubt, and I love that about it. There's no doubt about that. But it, I don't know. Infamous, I think, around the time, I think, was was just, uh, I think, compared to the... I, it's kind of like Spider-Man now, where it's like, it's great, but like when you compare it to the other AAA games around that are out right now, it's kind of like, it's it's just like slightly below all the other ones. It is, it is interesting genetically, right? There's something about yeah. Infamous that was really important to other games. Without I a think. doubt, yeah. But yeah, it definitely was superseded because 
I even said about Second Son, and we've said this before. And First Light was actually even better than yeah. Second Son because I liked. I liked. Uh, first of all, I love the enemy. I forget her name now, but she's like an older woman, basically. What the mm-hmm. fuck was her name? She was like a super cool villain. But also, I liked the arcadey nature of the DLC. But First Light just felt a little old, even when it came out. Like, and I think that again might be another reason why they don't want to maybe expose Infamous, because maybe maybe people go back and be like, these weren't as good as we thought. Maybe that causes some disrespect towards Sucker Punch when they're making a new game. There's probably a lot of different reasons why this didn't happen. Killzone is a different story because the original Killzone's not good. No. Uh, like on, on PS2, it's available on PS3. People can go play the downloaded version. Go play the original Killzone. It's not good. It's not good. It's really not good. <laughs> really I, I, don't, not good. I don't think you want to go back and play it, but you can. No. It's, it's better a, than Haze. It is better than Haze. That's true. I only played Killzone HD one time and it was at New York Comic Con for like five minutes. And I'm like, well, whew, I don't know why Sony bought them around that time, too. It's really <laughs> weird. It's very weird. Well, that was around the time they were just trying to get so much stuff on the platform, though. You know, they yeah, were well, Killzone was out. supposed to be the Halo killer. Yeah, and I think that they wanted they wanted to believe that was going to so be was true. So was Haze. I think it had that on the box, had that on the back of the box. I remember. And then Resistance. And then Resistance. And the only, the only Halo killer ended up being Halo. Ha! Well done. Darren Kylie wrote in and said, greetings. Now he says, greetings, Kalipigian, Colin. I don't know what that means. Kalipigian? Is that what it is? Kalipigian? C-A-L-L-I-P-Y-G-I-A-N. No idea. That could be some sort of slur for all I know. <laughs> and, caco- and cacophonous Chris. In the world of online competitive gaming, we've long had the concept of ranked play, where players of a similar skill are matched together and typically alongside a casual unranked mode. I see an opportunity here to create another sort of filtered online play mode, specifically age-restricted modes come to mind. In my time with Destiny 1 and 2, it was my experience that when you looked for groups online, people often had age requirements listed. While some found this to be a marginalization of kids, my experience was, or two kids, my experience was that playing with a more mature group was almost always more enjoyable. Given the toxicity of many online games and the disproportionate amount of time coming, uh, of that, I'm sorry, coming from minors, among other reasons, I find the idea of an age-restricted online mode very appealing. Regardless of feasibility, would you like to see this or maybe other types of filtered online play? Maybe a mic-only or no-mic mode filtering would be another example. I think those already exist. Chris, I want to hear what you think about ageism, though, with no. this. Uh, separating people by age couldn't they just lie yeah you just lie it's pointless that whole thing i think i think we could have better matchmaking in the sense of there could be like sub settings where you could be like oh i want to match with players who like who have a preference for mike you know like or, or player preferences i think would be a good idea i think halo reach did this back in the day where you could play with you could set preferences to who you would match with and they would be like do you want no talking or do you want chatty do you want competitive or do you want uh, casual and you could set those parameters and then you would just match with people uh, but I think the age thing is a bit pointless. Yeah, it seems pointless to me just because why wouldn't you lie about it? Yeah, and you could also just just play. You, I, I feel like you could just do all that stuff of your own volition. You know what I mean? Like you don't necessarily need some kind of UI component or some AI doing it for you. You could just be like, oh, I'm just going to play with my friends who are of my age right. and then probably match with, you know, you're usually matching against other players. So what does it matter who they are? Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess he's talking more about Destiny and stuff like that, where you match with players if you're playing PVE, right? So, yeah. or Division. I, he makes an interesting point, but I just don't see 
why if you were like a 15 year old kid, you wouldn't just lie. Like, because you feel like you're being alienated or isolated from the real players or whatever. So yeah. that would just cause a breakdown in the system. And then if you had to verify your ages, that would I used just to do that all the time. It's like, I remember going on gametrailers.com and trying to see the Bioshock trailer. And it's like, how old are you? It's like 58. Yeah. I, st- <laughs> I mean, I'm 34 years old and I still lie all the time. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, January 1st, 1912. There you go. Yeah. I just, scroll, I I just scroll way down. I'm 107. Can I see the new Call of Duty trailer now? <laughs> You're not ready for it. Old man. Old man. I could barely see it. I remember when Call of Duty didn't come out every year. All right. I mean, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. I bar- I actually barely remember that time. Come to think of it. Never mind. Brian Flanders has the final inquiry for us today, Chris. He says, hi, Colin and Chris. I wanted to bring up an aspect of trophies that perhaps isn't appreciated. I would say 85% of the reason I want to get trophies in games is for their addition to the timeline of my life. I greatly enjoy going back in my trophy history and remembering getting Mirror's Edge trophies when I first moved to my apartment in 2008 or getting the platinum and infamous second son when I was finishing up college in 2014. Colin, I can only imagine the infinite memories you have getting trophies between being at IGN and now. Would love to hear your thoughts on if this underappreciated aspect of trophies, a permanence you can always reference to enforce and recall events as times go by. I've talked about that in the past and I love that. I love that trophies are time stamped. Yeah, that's the only that's the only value they have to me, to be completely frank about it. That was the only value achievements had to me, too. I was like, oh, neat. And then I would go back and look at uh, some of the old stuff. It's like, oh, I remember getting the trophy and cloning Clyde and hating the fact that it had like an an odd Odd number. number. Yeah. Pissed me the hell off. But uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's the only thing I appreciate about it. I don't really care about the metagame, really. But I do appreciate the, the, the timestamp nature of it. There's like a metagame to the metagame, which is interesting in that oh, some people, uh, we have some older listeners, but my brother, Dagan, who I do my podcast Knockback with is, uh, how old is he now? 43? Geriatric. He's a geriatric. Octogenarian. I, I remember when I was a kid, when we had the NES and later the SNES, Dagan had a list, like a, a stapled together list of loose leaf paper, and he would write down the games that he beat as he beat them with a date next to them. We don't know where this list is anymore, but I bring that up only to say like, that's how we used to do it. But anyone could have lied. What I like most about this, what lie. I love most about it is that you cannot trick the system. Yeah, you can prove. Like if someone says it. like, I beat Dark Souls and then you go look at their trophies, well, they, you either beat it or you didn't. And there's a few cool things about this. Number one, this started really affecting reviews in the games industry where people started getting in trouble for this, including at IGN when I was there and at other places where freelancers were to like say they reviewed a game or played a game a certain amount of time. You can simply just go look. Um, this also happened in the other direction. When we were talking about Infamous, when Infamous's DLC, what was Infamous 2's DLC called? It was like the Halloween or like creepy DLC. Fuck, I can't remember the name. Festival of Blood. When that came out, I got it early and I beat it in 90 minutes. Seven to start and I beat it in 90 minutes. And Sony came back to PR, came back to Greg and I, and we're like, there's no way you beat the game in 90 minutes. And I'm like, well, here's the first trophy. And then exactly 90 minutes later is here's the trophy for me beating the game. And who shut up? Sony did. Sony shut up because there was proof in the pudding, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's all sorts of fun and different and unique and interesting uh, purposes to the trophies. But I agree. It's a real, like, imagine if in 30 years from now we're still on PlayStation Network. It'll probably be on some screen built into your fucking wall and PlayStation won't exist as a unit anymore. But if you could go back and be like, oh shit, on PS3 in 2010, I beat this. I think it's kind of neat. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, and, no, definitely. And I, it just reminds me of those those analog days when people would be like, oh, I beat this. Oh, I beat this. I beat Battletoads. And Dagan had his list and he was real honest about it. But anyone could have gone and been like, you didn't beat any of these. You can't prove that you beat any of these games at all. No, exactly. Uh, so I think it's a cool little list of accomplishments the meta to the meta game, as it were. 
Chris, that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Well, would you look at that? We're going to record Sacred, Sacred Symbols Plus now for this week, which will be all about violence and video games. Remember, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand for early ad-free access to every episode of the show, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, vote on topics that we cover on Knockback, and vote on side quests, and vote on Let's Plays, lots of different things. There is no greater Patreon on God's green earth than College Last Stand. Oh, without a doubt. So we appreciate you very much. Thank you for your love, your kindness, and your support. Uh, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Justin Bearden, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Blossford, Andrew Bonnell, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Nick Calloway, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davin, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wide Henry, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Jimmy Jalakura, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Auntie Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan. Ryan R. Kittredge, Kenneth Kopnick, Joshua Koga, Andre Kozachka, Ron Kroskoff, Jackson Lostiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Duncan Leishman, Matthew Lenz, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, David Mann, Peter Mark, Matt Martin, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Philip J. Melk, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Matthew Miller, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nick, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Tipo Poplier, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Shero Kader Hama Karim, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Daniel Rivas, Johnny Rosado, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon C. Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strychar, Wesley Simmons, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thelander, Ben Thompson, Ren Todd, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Josh Wire, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Jeff, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Madmock Media, Fabian, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Scott, Rainick, Donk2015, and Gavin. 
you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.